rather I think a lot of our time is spent on much more longer form content stuff that's more I suppose thought-led whether that's either authored by us or it's authored by others that we're that we're commissioning to write for us I'm sure there are some people out there um, working in those publications that would um, be happy to prove me wrong but I personally don't believe that they'll be making a huge amount of revenue off the back of that off the back of that content I would say that one of the um, most valuable things that the trade at the trade press or trade media does for their clients and customers is provide um, a degree of impartiality. Hello and welcome to episode two, season three of the AppPod. In this episode, we're going to be discussing Trade Press, and I am joined by the brilliant Rachel Smith. Rach is the founder and CEO of ExchangeWire, a trade publication which I'm sure many of you are familiar with. The Trade Press for digital media has evolved a lot over the years. Within my time in the industry, it used to focus on breaking news and which agencies had won which clients. Whereas now, it really drills deep into technical topics and the journalists and reporters have a far greater understanding of it than before. In today's episode, we talk about the different monetization models of trade press, the change from pure journalism and reporting to events, podcasts, awards. And given this series of the AdPod is focused on transformation, Rach gives her thoughts on how the trade press will continue to transform. Please feel free to click subscribe and share this on whichever platform you're listening to and add a rating. It really helps. Anyway, without further ado, this is episode two, season three of The App Pod. Hey, Rach, welcome to The App Pod. How's it going? Um, thank you very much, Wayne. Uh, good to see you. It's going really well. Thank you very much for inviting me on The App Pod. I was saying to you earlier on, it's quite an honour. <laughs> we've reached that status now it's like an honor to come on and I have to like prize people onto it like I used to do That's exactly <laughs> it's a good um, place to be oh good 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 um before we get into it for those listening who might not know you and your background especially well would you mind giving us like a quick intro to your career and what you do now yeah, of course. No worries. So um, I am the CEO of ExchangeWire. I'm hoping hoping that some of your listeners will know who ExchangeWire is. I expect they do. B2B. I do yeah, I, I hope so. Um, <laughs> just in case there's some newbies to the podcast because you can become so famous now, Wayne. Um, <laughs> ExchangeWire is a, is a B2B publication uh, or, or some often known as a trade publication for the marketing and advertising industry, particularly the technology side of the industry. How I got into this and what was what my career path was in the sort of lead up to this is um you know it is a long and fractured story um, I'm uh, you know I'm old Wayne my background certainly wasn't in digital media put it that way but I got to exchange wire in the very early days Kieran and I were already knew each other he had set up this blog to write about again just in case any listeners aren't aware Kieran O'Kane is the co-founder of Exchange Wire um, he'd set up a blog to write about 
marketing, advertising technology because he was really interested in it at the time and quite frankly was in between jobs and thought it might lead him somewhere interesting. And within about the first sort of like six or seven months of writing about ad tech, this was real early days, right? So we're talking about ad meld prior to the Google acquisition, all sorts of, um, you know, what we would refer to as infrastructure ad tech solutions that were in their early inception. And, um, and I think it was even Ben Barakas, who was the CEO and founder of AdMeld at the time, got in touch with him and said, hey, like, I really, it's really interesting that you're writing all of this stuff about the industry. Um, you know, can we give you some money to sponsor and put some ads on your website? And then, by the way, I think you should host an industry event and um, talk about the industry and invite everybody, you know, not just technology providers, but also get some agencies in the room and some publishers in the room and, 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 and host a debate about the, you know, the sort of most important issues in the industry. And he was well up for that, being an opinionated Irishman but had absolutely no idea how to do that. And so he came to me and said, um, oh, so, you know, these guys have suggested that I do an event, but, like, I don't even know, like, what does that even look like? And at the time, um, so I'll give you a bit of a preamble to this in a minute, but at the time I was working in my last, I call it kind of corporate job before I started in the world of exchange wire um, in the public sector. And it was, uh, I had a lot of, um, you know, I was managing probably about five or six big staff teams with a lot of staff underneath them. And uh, one of my areas of responsibility was um, corporate comms and PR. And amongst other things, we used to host a wide variety of events and I'd sort of done some events in previous jobs as well, but I was, you know, I had a team reporting into me that did this stuff and did it routinely and did it very professionally and very expertly. So I so I helped him host the first ever ATS, which was at the top of the centre point tower on Tottenham Court Road there. Um, everyone will, will, you know, everyone, every Londoner that's still living in London, so that's not you, sorry, Wayne, um, <laughs> will we'll, we'll know it as... Um, you know, kind of a sort of a weird high rise that sort of looked a little bit, I don't know, 60s or 70s. And it's now been, of course, that part of Tottenham Road has been completely redeveloped and um, is used up thanks to the Elizabeth line. Um, yeah, and we squeezed like 100, I don't know, 150, 160 crazy ad tech people and media people into a room at the very top of that tower and talked about ad tech for four hours and made made, made a you know good amount of coin off it. And at the end of that event that day, I said to Kieran, you know, you could actually make some money out of this. And he's like, ah. And then I got a phone call, like, I don't know, three days later saying, um, so anyway, I was thinking maybe we could, because Kieran likes to present all ideas as his own, right? He was like, so <laughs> Clearly, <I> was yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we could do some, some, uh, some more of these ad tech events and um, I, I'd need someone to help me with it. So like, do you want to, you know, I'd give you 50% of the company. Do you want to come and join me? And I was so miserable in my job at the time. I was like, mm. it took me about five seconds to consider it. And I thought, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's go for it. And that's how I ended up at Exchange Wire. But, yeah, prior to that, I had a whole career in the public sector, um, working in everything from public policy to um, I used to work in this in this part of local government that um, uh, dealt with um, emergency support for asylum seekers and vulnerable vulnerable people and refugees that were coming into the country. I worked in the in the in the public sector both in Australia and also in the UK, and um, I just got myself into you know pretty senior positions um, with a kind of fairly routine career path and. 
I was just joking with someone the other day that 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 the last job I had, which was driving me crazy and was was one of the things that helped me make a pretty easy decision to go into business with Kieran, um, was so stressful and so demanding. And I joked with uh, this person I was chatting with the other day that I was working like a banker and being paid um, uh, like a cleaner. And I just thought, oh, this is, I've had enough of this, it's time to move on. But the other thing I often say about that fractured career path, you know, quite a lot of time spent in the public sector doing things that I did feel very passionate about and I think are really important. And I've got a lot of respect for people that work in the public sector, um, uh, you know, that do really important um, necessary jobs. But I, um, I always say that the one similarity between that and working in ad tech is that I used to have to work with a lot of politicians and they are crazy just like ad tech CEOs, pretty much. <laughs> no, ad tech CEOs are crazy. No, surely not. Surely, <laughs> surely not. Um, that's great. And one of the things we're doing on this season so that our listeners can get to know the guest a bit more is to find out something interesting, which maybe not everyone knows about the guest. So do you have kind of an interesting fact or something slightly unusual about yourself you can share? I mean, you know, there's so many unusual things about me, uh, Wayne. Where do I start? Um, I, I, I suppose one of the, I don't know how unusual it is, but um, if I'm thinking especially about my sort of professional working life and my life as CEO at Exchange, I think something that a lot of people don't know about me um, uh, in the industry or a lot of people that I maybe know through a working context don't know about me is that in addition to the day job, which is pretty demanding, I also am a trustee for a charity over in East London called the Bromley by Bow Centre. And I suppose it's a bit connects a little bit to your earlier question you know what was my background how did I how did I sort of get into life at exchange wire um uh you know I started out after university where I did a politics and history degree working in the public sector and you know as I intimated feeling quite passionate about some of the things that not-for-profit organizations do and so a few years ago I took the decision to um get a little bit more focused on doing some work outside exchange wire in the day job that might um you know contribute to making a difference and there's a lot of charities especially those that are not maybe internationally well renowned or nationally very famous or who don't have really famous patrons or um, people that help them kind of raise money that do amazing work and really need people that have got um, experience in uh, running a business or in, uh, you know, or have got a sort of, you know, fairly uh, well into their own career paths that are willing to dedicate some of their time to helping um, that charity um, not just raise money, but also um, run the day-to-day -day operations of the organisation. Now, as a trustee, I obviously don't get involved in any of the day-to-day -day operations, but I am, like, uh, together with my fellow trustees, um, a person that the CEO and that the senior leadership team can come to to discuss issues and challenges and look for support in the day-to-day in -day runnings of the charity. So, yeah, I think it's something that um, people don't often know about me and um, it, it's something that um, I, I, I want people to know about because it's a really important yeah. um, part of my life and also I think it's a really good thing to do to dedicate some of your time to something that doesn't actually make you coin, gives you something else in uh, of that. 100%, that's amazing. And definitely I think people listening... Um, who are either currently, you know, giving back inverted commas or, or, or who, even if they're not, they should. It's kind of like a, if you're fortunate enough to be able to listen to a podcast about advertising, you know, there are people and other um, people in the world who aren't as fortunate. So 
who don't get the chances and if you can support them it's yeah incredibly important in whichever way you can yeah so yeah that's great yeah. that's a really good one thanks rage yeah no worries um and so we're going to talk about trade press quite a I mean, I say trade press. Is it even trade press anymore? Because the the press side of it's expanded. But it'd be great to understand from your perspective. We'd like to start with definitions. So, how do you sort of define trade press? Yeah, that's a good point because um, <clears throat> certainly one of the things um, that we uh, will routinely say about Exchange Wire is that we're not a news breaking news publication. And I suppose a traditional definition of a, of a press outlet or a press organisation is certainly the dissemination of um, you know well researched and well you know journalistic written content that is. Um, uh, you know, information sharing, educational, et cetera. But it is usually also based around releasing, you know, really important up-to-date information news. Now, I'd say we do all of those things in exchange wire with respect to the industry that we're operating in, but we don't break news. And so we don't, what that means is that as a, uh, as a business, we're not a sort of traditional standard publishing business that employs a lot of journalists. We employ a whole range of staff um, and, uh, you know, and we ha- certainly have employed journalists in, before in the past. We've got a couple of people working for us now, one of whom's got a, a journalist degree and others that have written for, um, you know, they've basically taken on roles that are very similar to journalists, but maybe are not necessarily qualified journalists. And the reason I make that distinction is because I think the trade press or shall we call it, say, trade media, um, it it looks really different to even to sort of five and six years ago because the type of staff that we're employing are not necessarily uh, spending their time writing stories and breaking news and focusing on the things that are going to, I suppose, be considered highlights of the day in the industry. Rather, I think a lot of our time is spent on much more longer form content, stuff that's more, I suppose, thought led, whether that's either authored by us or it's authored by others that we're that we're commissioning to write for us. And uh, a lot of the content that we're producing is research-based as well. So I think that trained media, certainly in advertising and marketing, has changed hugely in the last five or six years. Partly that's to do with the, the, the sort of monetization models that businesses like ours have adopted, and partly it's to do with the consumption of content and what it is that our readership are looking for. Breaking news is one of the things that I think is 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 really just not that much of a priority, certainly not for exchange-wise readership. It is, it is perhaps for other publications' readership, but it's the thing that I think defines and differentiates um, some trade publications from others. You know, the news elements of what happens in our working lives is less important than the underlying content. And and, and that could also be because the, the marketing and advertising technology industry anyway is maturing. You know, 10 years ago, certainly ad tech companies, 15 years ago, ad tech companies were really nascent and now it's a fully fledged grown-up industry and so I guess the demands of professionals in that industry that uh, you know that they would have of trade publications have changed as well over time. That makes sense yeah that makes total sense. I guess you know when you think about the trade media and trade publications and also I mean like you know companies as well themselves are putting out a lot of content directly to like you know professionals particularly in B2B. Where do you think the value is added by trade publications? Where do you think they're kind of like you know the sweet spot of value is? Mm, I think that's a really good question because 
I think that is intrinsically linked to how you build your business model as a trade publication, how, how you make money. Like what is it that people, um, you know, what is it that your audience or your readership really wants or really needs and how are you going about delivering that? And I would say that one of the um, most valuable things that the trade at the trade press or trade media does for their clients and customers is provide um, a degree of impartiality in the discussion and debate of any of the issues that we might be writing about or any of the things that might wind up being discussed about, um, being discussed rather either at a live event or on podcasts or in interviews. Um, and if you're providing that impartiality from the point of view of being uh, really embedded in the industry, so making it your business to get to know the full range of business models across the industry, um, to get to meet, get yourself out there and meeting individuals within all of those businesses and from all of the corners within the industry, um, then that means I think you're in a really good position to sort of curate and, and moderate, if you like, an impartial conversation, impartial discussion. So part of our role, I think, as trade press and trade media is to provide a platform for that. And then the second part of our role, I think, is to make sure that we're um, professionally facilitating that. So we need to educate ourselves and make sure that we're getting out there having, like I said, full-fledged discussions and conversations with people to understand their businesses, understand their, um, you know, their motivations, their challenges, you know, um, where they're seeing opportunities emerge. Um, at, so that we can, you know, usefully surface issues, challenges, and sort of help to bring to the table some solutions as well. So and what's really interesting in the time that I have um, been running ExchangeWire together with Kiron is that, you know, obviously we've built up an enormous amount of um, connections and, and uh, you know, a, a really wide-ranging professional network in that period of time. Um, but I'm really noticing some interesting people come knocking for our opinion or our input on certain issues um, and and, and I'm finding that really fascinating. It used to just be more a what do you think about this and it would be and, and it would often be down to the personal networks that either Kieran or I held with particular people in the industry but now it's becoming a bit more organisational led so we're being approached by some interesting organisations who will come to us and say oh we need to learn and understand a little bit more about this. What's your opinion of it? Who are the, who are the main players in the industry that we should be speaking to to understand more about this? So, so yeah, in short, I think it's providing that impartiality and making sure that you provide a platform for the, that impartiality to lead to interesting conversations. Uh, I, yeah, I sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll read um, a journalist or a writer's perspective on something and I'm like, geez, they really get it. <laughs> you know, like I'd say like, you know, five, 10 years ago, you'd read stuff and go, oh, this is missing some of the crux of the, of the conversation. But now you're like, okay, they're, you know, I think they're sort of, professional responsibility to get into the detail and be up to speed and then sort of represent that is really important and you know it's it's someone like you know myself and my team are like going god that's really on the ball I mean that's good it just means that other people are reading it who may not be as on the ball are getting up to speed as well I think that's collectively important for the industry and that's a really important point way because if you're reading articles by a particular writer or journalist and you're thinking they get it then that means it's a really well researched piece of writing and you, you don't get that just from um doing a bit of research online and theoretically applying your your brain to the to the topic you get it from speaking 
talking to a lot of different people, from discussing it and debating it internally with your colleagues, from really sort of, you know, grappling with a particular issue or topic. And the fact that, like you said, you and your colleagues within an organisation like TPA, who are deeply embedded in working on probably really difficult to solve challenges and issues with your clients, if you feel that some of that work is being, well, not specifically that work, but the issues surrounding that work is being reflected back accurately by the trade media, then that's a really good indication that the industry is professionalising. And that's great to hear. Yeah, and it's, it's also really good for business, to be honest, because you get like a stakeholder at a brand or whatever, ad tech or trade body, and they go, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know enough myself. I should go to an expert to help me. So, oh, that's good for us because we're consultants. You're you the get, Yeah, you get, often get drafted in when there's challenges. Um, yeah. Just go back to your first point about impartiality, because I think this is really interesting because you mentioned about how like ATS had sponsors. You see, it, you know, obviously other events and you see there's ads on the site and there's sponsored content. How do you balance that in practice to m- remain impartial, but also sort of, meet the needs of a sponsor? Yeah, that's a really good question and one that I know the entire team here at Exchange Wire would have so much to input on because it's really, you know, sort of this is a daily challenge for us, right? So on the advertising side of the business, so I guess, you know, it's sort of helpful context here is that like most um, uh, publications, um, we have a mixed monetization model where we monetize through um sponsorship of site content, including banner ads, um, but also, you know, um, sponsorship of newsletters and, you know, run of site advertising, um, as well as maybe some specific pieces of content that might be either research reports or, you know, white papers, thought-led papers that would be sponsored by um, a particular customer or client. Then we also monetize our business um, through running our ATS events, um, which are ticketed events and also sponsored events. Um, And then we also have some, you know, a a sort of a, a, a range of specific bespoke products, including our podcasts and our Trader Talk TV series. And, you know, they're, they're not always sponsored. Some of those episodes are sponsored and most of them are not. Um, and then and then very finally, we also run a, a, a sort of a PR service where we, um, uh, you know, enable people for the opportunity to sign up for a sort of annual subscription to channel their press releases and some of their announcements, more news-related activity through our sites. Um, so that's a range of things that we're providing for our clients and, and, and customers. How do we make sure that we're retaining our impartiality and our editorial credibility and amongst all of that, I think the short answer is that you have to um, devise and then maintain really clear, transparent boundaries. So you've got to firstly, you know, state very clearly on your site what what is sponsored content, what is not. Um, uh, Be very clear in your on-stage content at events that um, sponsors are appearing in discussions to speak about specific things um, and be very clear as well with your audience and your readership about what ExchangeWise role is in that. So we have for all of our events, we've got some really clear boundaries and rules that we that we that, that are immovable as far as we're concerned, which is that we curate the entire agenda and we moderate all of the discussions. We don't allow 
any sponsors to um, moderate discussions and take discussions off into directions that they want to. So therefore, you know, when you're hearing a panel discussion at an ATS event, if a sponsor is veering off down a, down, down a discussion point that others on the panel aren't really that engaged in or aren't really that interested in and it's turning into a bit of a sales pitch, then it's an exchange wire moderator that draws that back in and pulls that conversation away. I mean, obviously, we do lots of things to try to prevent that happening in the first instance, but that's not always possible because all sorts of things happen on the day. Um, but that, but that's a really, you know, um, good example of conversations that we will have routinely with sponsors who might want the opportunity to moderate a discussion, and we very clearly explain to them that's not appropriate for our events because one of the value, you know, one of the the points of value that we know our audience gets out of an ATS event is that the content is going to be moderated and curated by Exchange Warrior. It's not going to be taken over by sponsors. We're very happy to provide you with a platform, but we want to be really clear about what you're doing on that platform and that it is our platform and not and not your platform. It yeah, can create I, some difficult yeah, conversations gonna, sometimes. Sorry. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. Does it create difficult <laughs> conversations? Do the, does the sponsors like, when I'm paying, I want this? So um, if ever the conversation goes down that route then we then in general you know and this is a really honest conversation that our that our um, partnerships team and our commercial team will have with potential sponsors this is the way that we run our events model so these are you know this is what we would be offering you in exchange for sponsorship if in fact you're looking for something else then ATS is not the right event for you so if that gets you know flushed out at the point of is this a partnership that will suit us both um, at that stage, then that's great. If we've then got into a commercial agreement with some, with, you know, with a sponsor who's said that's all good, you know, that was fine by them at the time, but I don't know, they've changed their mind down the line or maybe they hadn't really thought about it very much or focused on it very much. And, you know, we get to closer to the to the date, we're lining things up and trying to execute the details of the panel and it's a returning conversation, then we emphasise, um, you know, as I said, we will have always had the conversation to lead in the lead up anyway, but would then emphasize the reasons that we've selected that business model, which is you're getting value as a sponsor from being on our stage and our platform because people know and expect this from us. So you're getting a particular audience that's turning up to this event, that's thinking to themselves, ATS content is not really like all the content that we see at every other event. It's a little bit different. It's got a slightly different edge or angle to it. I know I'm going to see Kieran on stage. I know I'm sort of going to see Lindsay on stage. I, you know, I know I know I'm going to see um, the Exchange Wide team moderating conversations, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this conversation shakes out. That's a good platform for a sponsor to be involved in. I don't think anyone really wants to be wants to wants to pay the price for owning an event and having the audience walk away thinking I just feel like that was a sales pitch and I didn't really get anything that's um, differentiated or that's interesting out of that conversation yeah as someone who attends a lot of events um, you can definitely see the difference in approach to sponsors essentially and you know fair is fair everyone has a different model everyone's doing different ways but um i think the way that exchange wire approach it you know keeping the integrity of the topic and moderating a good discussion which isn't too dictated by sponsors for me maybe this is my bias i'm sort of more aligned with that approach than the uh sort of you get the sort of speed dating style of sponsors wheeling out sales pitches for 25 minutes i don't think that's beneficial for too many people um no yeah and i mean like, like you said you know different models suit different businesses i think right. that i think that 
you know, just being really explicit and honest with your customers about what type of model you've got in place is the way to make sure that you're, you know, you're you're signing up the right partnerships. You've got the right you've got the right sponsors that are suitable for your event. So just taking the conversation on a little bit because. I mean, ExchangeWire and trade media in general has evolved so much. So like when I think about ExchangeWire, I actually wrote an article in like 2010 about viewability and how important it was. And the headshot is absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> people now frantically going to ExchangeWire, searching Wayne Bloodwell, go back through the archives. Oh, so it's really bad. But that was, you know, at the time, ExchangeWire was mainly a publisher, like thought pieces and some ads on the site. I think ATS was just starting. And now, you know, you have Trevor McDonald's, like newsreader legend in the UK, hosting the wires, the awards that you put on. How has that happened? Like, how's that, how's that, how's that evolution come to be, come to be? Like, what was the, the inspiration and process behind like building out what you have? Well, that's a really interesting question because uh, I think most people that know Exchange Wire well and know the characters involved in the business, namely Kieran, myself, um, the rest of the the rest of the top tier team, you know, Lindsay, Amory, and and our content folks, will know that you know Kieran Kieran's got a very big personality. Everybody in the industry no, knows he? who he is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think in the early days of Exchange Wire, what we were really trying to do was find a way to sort of scale up a business around someone that's really opinionated um, and that and that therefore attracts a lot of attention, right? And, and, and our feeling was um, there was two things behind that. The first was it wasn't all just kind of, you know, Irish charm, humour and, uh, you know, and, and kind of loudmouthness. Um, Kieran also had a really genuine interest in the industry and so was writing a lot of stuff that was very research thought-led. Um, and so I feel as though we set the sort of bar for the quality of the type of content that we wanted to put out there, whether that was on stage or on the website quite high. And so we've always recruited to that, to that, to that bar. You know, we're not, like I said, we, you know, we weren't, we weren't all about um volume of content versus quality it was always quality was the was the most important thing um so we sort of used that as the standard and then I think the second thing is that we also you know saw an opportunity actually to globalize the business we saw an opportunity to be running ATS in other international regions um to be rolling out our content to other regions and writing about other regions because you know the world of digital marketing and advertising is absolutely a global industry and you know we may well work for organizations um, within a particular region but the big players in the industry whether it's on the tech side whether we were talking about advertising agencies and media agencies or even brands consumer brands a lot of those companies and organizations are international or global and so we sort of saw an opportunity to scale the business to a global audience and so, therefore, I think we spent a lot of our time in the early days just working out what are the touch points that, 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 that we can use to build the business around, how will we monetize those touch points, and how will we appeal to a larger, more global audience. And so over the years, it's become less a business that is sort of the voice piece of, of Kieran and, and even myself for that matter, but especially Kieran because he really wrote a lot of the content in the early days and more about how we can continue that sort of quest for professionalising the level of, you know, the sort of type of content that we were pushing out and the kind of agenda that we're curating on an ATS stage. 
And, um, you know, we've got there by employing a bunch of extremely talented and uh, committed professionals who've just really enjoyed the journey, I think, have been really bought into um, the type of environment that Exchange Wire is and the kind of standards that we're trying to set for ourselves as a business and the way that we work um, and what we were trying to do in the industry. And that's kind of led us from, say, you know, 20, like you said, when you first wrote that article, 2010, um, through to 2022, with still a small business, frankly, but just growing steadily and, um, and you know, yeah, next thing you know, you've got the budget to ask Trevor McDonald to come and host your, host your, <laughs> host your awards, right? Um, and, and, and also, you know, um, I, I'm being very self-promotional, so forgive me, listeners, for being like that, but we've done quite well in international regions. So we've got a really big business out there in APAC, and um, we've done that just through hard graft, right? Being present in that market, running a really successful ATS, regional ATS events in Singapore, starting that out without any real great deal of investment behind it. I think the first event would have been lucky to break even, and, and we've just built it year on year on year on year. And we've got a great staff team in place that, that you know, deliver it for us, basically. Easy peasy. <laughs> there you go. Hire great people. Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it's amazing to see the journey that you've been on from the center point days and through and also just maintain that integrity as well. Um, maintain that sort of the quality and um opinion that matters. And so it's great to see the expansion and how that can also be applied to other markets as well. And um and we've talked a little bit about monetization so far. And I wanted to drill in specifically on sort of subscriber walls or paywalls and and the reason for that is maybe four or five years ago i called out campaign <laughs> this didn't go very well by the way this went down like an absolute <laughs> lead balloon but basically so I, thought, I, thought, I thought this was interesting you've got a an advertising publication going behind a paywall like ironic really um mm. but yeah, fair play i know mm. everyone's got the business models and they, they need to make it work for them um and other people monetize in different ways but interesting to know your thoughts on like how do you balance the sort of subscriber walls so people have to log in and see content paywall potentially which you have to pay to see the content or just generally like it's it's paid for in other means like how do you sort of balance those with an exchange wire yeah that's fascinating because it's a conversation that we've had a lot internally over the years um less so these days because we feel pretty sort of comfortable and confident with the mon mixed monetization model that we've got in place it's it's worked well for us and is and is you know touchwood um up to now continuing to work fairly well for us but we've certainly considered all of those options at some stage before in the past watching our peers do something similar, campaign, as you mentioned, DigiDay is another one. Um, you know, the drum certainly has a, a, a sort of a login wall, free wall, not, not necessarily a paywall. Um, and we've contemplated all of those models. I think that um, the first the first important point here is that if you are going to, if as a publisher you're going to run a subscription business, particularly in a B2B environment, you need to be very sure that you've got some content that is essential for people who are reading your publication. And by essential in a business environment, that means they depend on that content to get their job done. Otherwise, 
you are not going to get people really paying a great deal of money for that content. You may get some subscribers and you may even be successful, particularly if you're patient with it, in building up a reasonable amount of subscription income, but it will never, ever, ever touch the sides of any other kind of income model that you will have to operate alongside that subscriber income model. And that is because we all know as individuals and consumers ourselves, what do you pay for? in a subscription sense. It's probably mostly stuff that consumer-based stuff. It's your it's your streaming services. It might be the odd, you know, sort of shopping services or something along those lines. But it's stuff that's important to you um, from a lifestyle point of view that, you know, is considered almost as an, as an essential to some extent. What do you subscribe to in a business context? I bet the majority of people will be able to count their business subscriptions on half of one hand, right? Like it's not going to yeah. be many things. And those things are going to be um, stuff that contain behind that paywall really essential content to getting your job done. And as much as I obviously think that uh, the content that we put out there on Exchange Wire is top quality and really important and essential for some people to get their job done, I just we just never felt that that subscription income on the basis of of of, of putting up a paywall, uh, you know, directly. Um, adjacent to our content would build us enough revenue for the amount of effort and time it would take for us to put that in place. We then contemplated things like a subscription, just a, you know, like a free wall, just to get people to sign in to read the content so that we could be a little bit more granular about our audience, but instead decided that we could apply that um, in the context of particular products. So we release research reports. You can get a you know very brief summary available on the website if you want to actually download the report. You've got to give us your data and information in order to do that. Um, you know, we also obviously gather, you know, um, completely compliant with um, privacy legislation, people's data and information when they attend our events. And we've therefore backed away from ever putting some kind of login wall um, behind or putting our content behind um, a login wall because it just is a business model that doesn't make sense for us. We'd instead rather build that audience and that loyalty on the basis, again, of the quality of the content. Um, yeah, you know, you, you you raise some good examples of, 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 of peers that have done it differently. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there are some people out there um, working in those publications that would um, be happy to prove me wrong. But I personally don't believe that they'll be making a huge amount of revenue off the back of that off the back of that content. The only other thing I would say about that as well is that if you're going to have a subscription service in the context of a B two B model, um, then it either needs to be information and content that's essential to getting your job done, or it needs to be super niche, something that no one else really writes about or releases content on. It has to have a sort of element of exclusivity to it. Um, and that just didn't feel like, you know, th that sort of definition didn't feel suitable to what we've been trying to do at Exchange Run, and that's why we've not gone down that line. Now, we do try and, you know, the, the real... Um, the, the thing that's enticing about um, the idea of a subscription and a login wall is um, the reoccurring nature of it, right, especially, especially paywalls. 
we've adopted that business model for other products. I mentioned before our press release service, that is an annual um, uh, product and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not a um, it's not a sort of auto renewal annual product, but it's something that gets renewed by customers and clients who use it a lot on an annual basis, and that has become our sort of recurring revenue product. Um, and I think uh, pretty much every single publisher out there, B two B or B two C or any other shape or form. Um, like us, will be constantly experimenting with products and how to monetize them. So uh, I sort of don't rule anything out, but 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 I do feel really strongly that that kind of subscription-based content really is very difficult in the B2B environment. It hasn't, you know, it, it, it's not a suitable business model for us. Yeah, it, I mean, it's, it's so interesting to think about. And I definitely think in like an industry which you're trying to grow, like ad tech, for example, if you start putting content, if you start putting all the content behind paywalls, I don't think the industry grows as fast. Like you could not enough people get access to the content to understand it and be encouraged by it. Potentially worse for others, you know, where maybe you want to see who's pitching this week or who's moved roles or something. But I think if you're trying to grow a sector of the industry and talk about it, you just you just really restrict your audience reach by putting it behind a paywall. And so I think you, you spoke about the trade-off. I think, you know, for ad tech specifically and many others, I think paywall for B2B probably isn't the best approach. I completely agree. I, I think, I think, I mean, certainly all of those points that you've just made are things that are really important to us. We feel like we, part of our role is providing um, good quality content that's educational, informative, it's helping people navigate their way around the industry, it's creating debate, it is, um, you know, un, uh, sort of uncovering um, complicated and, and, and complex issues so that people can understand them more easily. It's helping people um, uh, get jobs in other parts of the industry it's helping grow that industry and 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 we want to you know do everything that we can that we can to contribute to that but I also just think um you know who's got a business that's fully behind a paywall and doesn't do anything else to supplement that income doesn't advertise doesn't it's they're few and far between yeah true yeah true um conscious of time just a couple more questions um you know historically people would go to exchangewire.com the drum.com digiday.com etc to get access to the news now though that sort of content can be surfaced through twitter through linkedin uh, facebook instagram etc how do you see the role of social media within sort of b2b trade media like how do you leverage it is it important how does it affect your monetization etc um it's really interesting. Still to this day, our um, you know analytics show us that the majority of readers that we've got come directly to our site. Most of the content is being consumed directly on exchangewire.com. Now, that could be because we've got a fairly loyal readership of people that are very embedded in the industry and that's just they know that that is where they're going to get the majority of the content. Some of our content products like the podcast won't, you know, people are not listening to it on exchangewire.com. They may be getting an alert via a newsletter or they're on the site on a Friday and they're like, oh, yeah, there's a new podcast and then they'll go and listen to it via their chosen preferred podcast channel. Um, you know, our Trade Talk TV um, videos are all available on YouTube. We probably, that's probably 50-50. We get people watching them on the site and then, you know, people watching them, consuming them directly 
they are important for me they're important marketing tools that is where you push and promote a lot of content and a lot of messages in the very early days of exchange wire they were interactive platforms you know twitter was where we would have debates about particular um products in the industry particular issues that were boiling that were you know boiling up in the industry um that over time became sort of somewhat replaced, I would say, in the last sort of four or five years by LinkedIn. But pretty much most of those platforms are not very conversational anymore. They're not usefully conversational anyway. And we find that most professionals in the industry aren't using them, um, not routinely to discuss uh, industry issues, challenges of the day. Um, And I think that's for a variety of reasons. I think that, you know, People don't enjoy the interaction on those social media platforms the way they did 10 years ago. Um, I think the saturation of audiences on those platforms means that um, any conversations you do do just take a completely different, uh, you know, sort of path to what they used to. Um, And I also think that uh, people have become a lot more interested in an in-person conversation and in-person interaction. And I find that really fascinating. I think that is something that's been influenced by our COVID lives and our post-COVID lives. And I think we're seeing a really interesting sort of rebalancing of um, that virtual and digital world and the real world. Yeah, massively. I think from what I've seen, attendance at events is like better than pre-pandemic because the sort of everyone just like <laughs> the amount of webinars we, had, we were watching and the, how much you missed like the in-person kind of nature or contact and conversation so yeah I think um it's good to see they're back I mean there's tons of them uh <laughs> in New York New York especially but uh it's good to see those back um yeah that actually, that actually leads nicely kind of into my my final question because mm. uh sort of season three of the app pod a lot of it's focused around transformation and kind of what do you think is like the biggest or the one way you think sort of trade media is going to transform in the next sort of 18 to 24 months? Well, I think it won't surprise any listeners to hear me say this because I think it'll be transformational in trade media, but I think it'll probably also be transformational in the world in general. I think conversational AI tools, the rise of Mm. conversational AI tools are going to have massive, massive impact on so many areas of our lives, lives, right? Um, it's quite it's quite possible that they'll become sort of proxy search engines for, for, for want of a better way to describe it. So people will be using it to discover um, or to learn about and understand content. I think they'll be used for writing content and I think they'll be also used for creating, um, uh, yeah, just, just, just sort of creating and refining um, the way that we describe and understand various concepts and and ideas and so I think that that will change the way that a lot of content is written across the internet both in a b2b context and a b2c context I think it will have a hugely um potentially transformational impact on the world of marketing and advertising as well so we'll be talking about it a lot we'll be talking about the use and application of AI tools which we have been talking about anyway for the last um, many years and um, but we've more been talking about that in the context of how they power and operate ad tech solutions and marketing tech solutions now I think we're going to be talking about not just that element of it but also how they're 
changing everything, changing the way that we consume things and changing the way that we understand and consume information. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I'm already bringing things on a day-to-day -day basis where I'm thinking, can they actually write that? Or do you yeah. think they might have used a conversational AI tool to write that? <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. That's definitely going to be very interesting how that sort of shakes out in the, in the content space. Um, thanks so much, Rach, for your time. Really appreciate it. We covered so much. I know the people who are listening would have really enjoyed this episode. So, yeah, thanks again for coming on and being a guest in the iPod. My pleasure, Wayne.